is today called Jesus. What do you believe you are primarily called to as a follower of Jesus? Is it social justice? Is it political action? Is it evangelism? Is it reading the word? Is it prayer? Is it serving the poor? What is it do you believe is your primary call as a believer? Well, if it's any of those things, primarily, your life would look like this. You see this graph right here, and you see you have prayer, you have um, sacraments, communion, fellowship, service, even study. But do you see what's missing right in the center of those? Jesus. Do you know that you can actually do all of those things and not even know him? You see, Jesus is the center of everything that we do. Everything flows out of our relationship with Jesus. Because here's the reality. You and I have not been called to something, but to someone. And my concern is that so many believers are connected to church, Bible study, fellowship, communion, serving the poor, worship, all these things. I mean, you can grow up in a pastor's home. And not know Jesus. Did you know that? You can grow up in church and not know Jesus. You can read the Bible. You can memorize the Bible and not know Jesus. So that is why we are opening a brand new series today simply called Jesus. I pray that through this series, which I'm so excited about, that we would all come back and center on Jesus. Some of you are going to refine your first love. Like Jesus said to the Ephesians church in the book of Revelation, he said, you all are doing so many great works, but guess what? I'm going to close the doors of your church. Why? You've left your first love. Jesus says, it's about me. You remember when Jesus called his first disciples? He didn't say, hey, come here. I'm going to teach you about evangelism. No, he said, come, follow, not a religion, follow me. And then I will make you fishers of men and women. You see, it's all about Jesus himself. I believe during this series, some of you are going to fall in love with Jesus all over again. I believe your love for him is going to go deeper than maybe it's ever been. And some of you, when you learn who Jesus really is, are going to come to him for the first time. So I'm going to pray for you right now that your heart would be opened, your eyes would be opened, your ears would be opened, and that Jesus will become more real to you than he ever has. Jesus, I pray for every person, including me, during this teaching series, that your spirit would flow, and that our eyes would open, our ears would open, our hearts would open, and we would see you, Jesus, and that you would become Jesus to us, so we can worship you, Give, evangelize, read your word, because they all flow from you and they're all for you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Today the reality is that if you are connected to something and not someone, all these things I'm talking about, Bible study, evangelism, church going, worship, even taking communion, literally become obligations, duties burdens. It's like the guy who brought flowers home after work one day, knocked on the front door of his own house, 
because he wanted to surprise his wife. She opens the door. She saw the flowers. She goes, honey, threw her arms around his neck. And says, you have not brought me flowers in so long. These are so beautiful. Thank you so much. And she said, well, why did you bring me flowers? He said, well, because when we went to marriage counseling, the pastor gave me a book. And on page 139, it says I was supposed to bring you flowers. <laughs> yeah. That is the way many people walk with God. Oh, I got to get up and go to church. Oh, I didn't read the Bible today. I feel guilty. Oh, evangelism. I don't want to evangelize. I'm it's so uncomfortable. You see, when we are not in love with Jesus, these things become duty and they become obligation. They become a burden. So I want us all to come back to Christ again. Look what Jesus said, literally to people who knew the Bible better than you and I ever will. The Pharisees, the Sadducees. The, the teachers of the law. Look what he says to them. You have your heads in the Bibles continuously, constantly, because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. This is the message translation. These scriptures are all about me. Here I am standing right in front of you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say that you want. You see, the way it is supposed to look and the way it's supposed to work is this graph here. And that is the prayer, the study, the communion, the sacraments, service, and fellowship. But look right in the middle of the wheel. Who's there? That's Jesus. And then once that takes place, look at this other wheel. I got all sorts of graphs for you today. Now, you, Jesus translates into your daily life. You've got your spirituality, which we were just talking about. You have your health, your mental, emotional, even physical health, your work, bringing Jesus to work with you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you skill sets. He'll give you favor. You bring him into the social. You bring him into your personal development. You bring him into your recreation. Do you know one time I uh, took a vacation? I took a week break from ministry, which is my job, your job too, by the way. And my job is to equip you to do the kingdom. And so, but, you know, when you're in my role in the kingdom of God, studying the Bible so often is about developing sermons. I'll be reading the word to feed my own soul, a little soul care. And then I'll be thinking, oh, God's people could use that. Oh, that'd be a great message. I want to feed God's people that scripture. I have to stop myself, right? Because I go into that mode. Or if I'm in prayer, I'm interceding for you. I'm interceding for people. I'm asking God for a global harvest. And, and so often, ministry can become work. In fact, ministry is called work. I took a week break, and you know what else I did? I took a break from prayer. I took a break from the Word. I, I obviously didn't go to church. I just ate pizza, watched movies, and slept. Pretty much what I did for a week. Well, listen to this. At the end of the week, I came back to church, and the first meeting I went to was an intercessory prayer group where we come together on Wednesday nights and we pray. And there's... a a person there who has a gift of prophecy, and he said, I see a vision of you. You are standing by, uh, you're standing on the street by the street, and a school bus is pulling up, and you have your books in your arms, and you're getting on the bus. That represented me going back to studying, and uh, studying the word and teaching. And all of a sudden, this red convertible two-seater pulls up in front of the bus, and it's Jesus. He's in the driver's seat. And he's calling me into the, into the, uh, into the sports car. And the, the prophet said, Jesus says to you, John, I'm fun too. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. 
You see, if we're not bringing Jesus into every aspect of our lives, we are not living the spiritual life he came to give to us. And so I'm praying that all of us come back to Jesus, closer to Jesus, walking with Jesus. And that's why I'm calling this first message, Walking with Jesus. You know, in the first century, everybody had ideas about politics, about money, about marriage, about divorce, about sexuality. I mean, all the same issues were on the table. There was racism, there was classism. I mean, there was oppression. The Roman government oppressing the Jewish people. I mean, this has always been since the fall of Adam and Eve. And everybody has their opinions on what's right and wrong and what we should do. But the disciples would always ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you think about this? Should we pay taxes? And then Jesus would give them the answer, hey, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God's what is God's. They're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Right? Well, who who's my neighbor? And of course, we're thinking... Well, my neighbor, the person I'm supposed to help, are the people that are like me. And Jesus says, no, your neighbor is. And then he gives this scenario that just blows everybody's mind. It's called divine logic. We have human logic, then there's divine logic. And when you're walking with Jesus, he will give you divine logic. God's perspective on everything in life. But he got, you got to know him. And so, that is what we are doing. Now, Right before we go into our main text today, I want to say one more thing. One of the other reasons I'm teaching this is because I'm burdened for believers. Because the world is upside down right now. And it's going crazy. And if you are not walking with Jesus, not church, not even the word, not even prayer, not even fellowship. If you're not walking with Jesus, you're going to go crazy too. Because all these things won't serve you. They'll fail you without Jesus, but he will never fail you. And if and when the persecution of believers gets stronger, the only way you're going to have the boldness and the courage to stand strong for Jesus is if you are walking with him. Look what happened to Peter and John when they got brought up before the rulers and these rulers beat them, imprisoned them, and they could have imprisoned them for a very long time. Look what they said uh, well, they told Peter and John that we're going to prison you again if you continue to preach this name of Jesus. And they said this. Well, they said, whether we should obey you or God, they said, you decide. It was a, it was a rhetorical question. They said, we're going to obey God. They had this incredible boldness. Everyone else was so afraid of the authorities. They did everything they said. Peter and John said, no, we're going to obey Jesus. And look what it says about these rulers in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The council members were astonished as they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that they were just ordinary men who had never had any religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. What a powerful verse. That's Acts 4.13. So, this is my hope for you during this series, is that you will find intimacy with Jesus, you'll find joy of walking with Jesus, and that you will find boldness to stand for him when the fire's hot. All right, so, here we go. We're going to open up this series with a passage out of Luke chapter 24, verse 13 through 35. This is where, this is the day Jesus was resurrected. 
and some women uh, went to the tomb. They saw he wasn't there, and they ran back to the disciples, and they said, he's not in the tomb. And they said they even saw him, and they said, that's foolishness. Nobody believed them. These are the followers of Jesus. And then there's these two guys who are walking along the road talking about this, and that's where we pick up the story. So it says this. In Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them who were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. (laughs) I love that. That is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. You know, the Bible says that we're to seek God and find him. James says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. But do you know who drew near to us first? Jesus did. You see, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. I love this. These two guys are confused. And we're going to find as we read this, they're disillusioned. They're disheartened. They thought Jesus was the Messiah. And then they saw him crucified. And then they hear these women saying the tomb's empty and they saw him risen from the dead and they're talking with one another. And one passage says they literally were standing still. They were walking seven miles and yet they stood still and they were talking to each other and they were just confused. And Jesus sidles up right next to him. So beautiful. He comes up along next to him and he says this. Well, it says this. Um, Now behold, two of them were traveling on the same day. Yeah, we read that. And Jesus drew near and went with them. It says this, but their eyes were restrained. This is a big part of today's message. Unless Jesus opens your eyes, you cannot know him. This is my desire through this whole series, is that Jesus would open our eyes open our ears and open our hearts. Because look, Jesus is spiritual. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus knows everything. And for you and I to think that we can know him with our natural mind, it's just foolishness. It takes Jesus opening our eyes. In fact, Jesus can restrain our eyes. And that's exactly what happened here. It says, but their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why were their eyes restrained? I'll tell you why. Jesus loves hide and seek. <laughs> I used to play hide and seek with my kids when they were little, right? And then I, they'd count to 20 and I'd go hide behind the door. But I'd, I'd always stick my big toe right outside the door, right? <laughs> so they could find me. Jesus gives us little tiny glimpses. He's coming up right next to them and he enters into a conversation with them and he's drawing them, he's wooing them. He wants them to continue to ask questions continue to seek. Jesus can handle your confusion. There are things in the Bible I don't understand. I've been reading it for 40 years. There are things I still don't understand, but it doesn't matter because I know him. You remember what Peter said? One time Jesus preached a sermon on cannibalism. Eat my flesh and drink my blood or you have no part with me. And thousands of people said, what? And they all left. And then Jesus turns around to his disciples and says, you guys want to go too? 
I mean, Jesus was so self-assured. He did not need anybody's validation or affirmation like we do so desperately, right? He just did what the Father told him to do. He knew he came from the Father, going to the Father. He had a job to do. He's coming to die for the sins of the world. He's not here to draw a crowd. The crowd leaves. He's like, well, I'm here to preach the word. And who's hungry? Who wants it? And Peter, remember what Peter said? He said, paraphrased, forgive me, I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I did not understand that sermon. But where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. I didn't understand your words, but I know who you are. And that's all that matters to me. And when you have that attitude toward Jesus, he will explain things as you walk along with him. Because he loves seekers. So, it goes on to say, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another and as you walk and are sad? Again, isn't that beautiful? Some of you are sad. Some of you are depressed. You know, during this COVID thing in particular, in this quarantine and people losing their jobs and losing their health and losing loved ones, losing your church fellowship. It's hard. Jesus is Easily touched with the feelings of our weaknesses, it says. It says that God draws near to the broken heart and those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus understood they were sad. He saw that their dreams were dashed. Some of you, your dreams have been dashed. Your hopes have been crushed. And Jesus comes to you. Sometimes you don't have the energy to cry out to God. But guess what? He's right there. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death with you. You see, if you don't know him, you don't know that. And you think, oh, I got to pray more. Oh, I got to read more. Oh, I got to go to church more. Oh, I got to give more. Trying to earn God's favor and earn God's presence, earn God's acceptance. That is religion. That is not God. That's not Jesus. So Jesus finds them and he walks along the road with them. Remember, this message is called walking with Jesus. And so what's he do? He says, what are you guys talking about? Why are you guys so sad? Well, he knew. Why is he asking them questions? This is how God draws us into relationship. He asks us questions that he already knows the answers to, right? Like he, two blind men, two blind men. Have mercy on us, Jesus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> well, come on, I can figure that one out. What's he doing? He's calling them into relationship. Talk to me. Tell me specifically what you want. Adam in the garden, you know, where are you? <laughs> oh, really? That's kind of like when I used to play hide and seek with my kids and it's their time to hide. And they would go run in the front yard and just fall down in the face and put their hands in their face thinking, well, they can't see me, then I can't see them, right? This is Adam and Eve hiding from God behind a bush. <laughs> That's crazy. But what does God say? Adam, where are you? Elijah, if you know the story, he ran from Jezebel, he's... He's uh, in a cave, and God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah gave him an answer, and then God asked him again. Same question, what are you doing here? And, uh, and Elijah gave him another answer. They had this conversation going on. And See, God draws you and me out through questions. He wants a relationship. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to tell us what to do all the time. He wants to, he, he wants to have a relationship. It's a two-way deal. It's a listen. It's a talk. It's an ask. It's an answer. He came here to have a relationship with you. 
Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened these day, uh, there in these days? And, he, and Jesus says, What things? <laughs> I just love this. What things? He wants to know what you're thinking. Do you know there are so many times, like if I'm on an airplane, you know the question always comes, how quick does it come up? Oh, so what do you do for a living, right? I try to avoid that question as long as I can. Because as long as they don't know I'm a pastor, they'll be real. But as soon as I say, oh, I'm a pastor, oh my gosh. First thing they do is they think about all the thing, all the cuss words they've used in the last 10 minutes. And then they think about all the things they said. And then they start to apologize, right? <laughs> it's like, no, please th- continue to be normal because this is going to be weird for both of us for the next four or five or 17 hours, depending on how far you're flying, right? Forgive me, sometimes I lie and I say that uh, I'm a motivational speaker, which actually is a lie if you're motivated by the things I say. But I try to keep my identity a secret as long as possible until they're ready for it, until they need a pastor. As we are talking, then I reveal what I do. You see, and you know one of the greatest compliments I ever get? Well, you're not like any pastor I've ever met. Now, it's not because I'm being ungodly. It's because I'm not being religious. You see, Jesus isn't religious. That's the takeaway line from this sermon. <laughs> Jesus isn't religious. In fact, one of the pastors on our staff wrote a book called If God is Not Religious, Then Why Are We? You ought to get that book. You can get it on Amazon by Mark Coppersmith. It's awesome. And he says, what thing? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, a prophet, mighty indeed, and in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping. Indeed, besides all these things, today is the third day since these things happened. And again, and and uh, Jesus, and they go on to say, Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. Okay, Jesus doesn't like this part astonished us when they did not find his body they came saying that they had been that they'd also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said but they did not but they did not see him jesus didn't like the fact they were astonished you see we are to believe what god says to us we're going to see that in just a second where Jesus starts to teach them again out of the Old Testament. But he had taught them for three and a half years. How long has he taught you and I? He's given you promises, prophetic promises, scriptures. He has said things to you. But when things look like there's no way it's going to happen, then we reduce our belief system. They thought he was the son of God. They thought he was the Messiah. But now they call him only a prophet. You see? What about Mary and Martha when their son Lazarus died? They said, only if you had come earlier when he was sick and not dead, you could have healed him, but now he's dead. They did not have it in their mind that the promise of the resurrection was about to happen. You see, just because your dream seems to be shattered, Jesus isn't done yet. So often Jesus' plan is so much larger. Like Peter was a fisherman. He had no idea he was going to be a prophet. Paul was was killing Christians. He had no idea he was going to be an apostle. I had no idea I was going to be a preacher. Sometimes I still can't believe it. Actually, like every day. <laughs> when God calls you to do something, it's beyond who you think you are and beyond what you think you can do. Because it is. And so Jesus 
says, then he said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart. I don't want Jesus. I don't want that to be my nickname. Foolish one and slow of heart. Do you? Okay. Let's, let's believe. Okay. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, all the scriptures point to Jesus. You know, you can say, oh, I know Jesus. Really? Maybe you can quote scripture. Maybe you can pray great prayers. Maybe you can preach the gospel to somebody and get him saved. But do you know him? You know, it's kind of like, um, let's take Abraham Lincoln from history. You could read his autobiography. You could read biographies. You could watch films on him. You could read his diary. You say, oh, yeah, I know Abraham Lincoln. And you can pontificate about Abraham Lincoln. But what if you were there? What if you were his best friend and you walked together? What if you were on his campaign trail? And you saw him cry. You saw him laugh. You saw him writing his speeches. And you conversed with one another. That is what Jesus is calling you to. A relationship with him. Where he'll walk with you and talk with you by his spirit. It's better than if you lived back then. Because these guys walked on a road with him. And a moment we're going to see he disappeared. And now they're just without Jesus. You are never without Jesus if you've received him as your Savior because he breathes his spirit into your soul and he goes with you everywhere you go, puts thoughts in your minds, impressions in your heart, comforts you when you're sad and depressed, empowers you, gives you courage until the day you see him face to face. It's all about relationship. But I love how Jesus explains the word to them. After he says, you slow in heart, you don't believe the word, then Jesus begins to teach them the word. I'm so thankful for that. You know, Jesus just meets us where we're at and he helps us along. I can give you so many scriptures and passages and stories about Jesus gives us a million chances. But then it goes on to say this, because we're running out of time here. We're going to take communion in just a minute. We're going to open this, this series, taking communion together. We're going to come to the body and the blood of Jesus. It may be the most meaningful communion you've ever had because it's not about the communion. It's about Jesus himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther. Ah, I love that. He indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him like in a headlock, I think. They did not want him going anywhere. He had just explained to them the entire Bible, man. This guy's awesome. Where'd you learn all this stuff, right? And they said, they said, abide with us. Abide with us. That's what you and I need to say to Jesus. Abide with us. Live with us. Flow with me. Keep talking to me. For it was it's toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in and stayed with them. You see Jesus do this throughout the scriptures. Like one time, these, the disciples were on the lake in a boat, and there was a storm. And it says, Jesus came walking on the water and would have walked by them. But they cried out, and so he got in the boat. You see, Jesus will give you little invitations, and he wants to know if you're going to respond. 
See, that's why Jesus shows us a little because he's given us an offering to a relationship. Will you respond? That's the question. When Jesus comes to you in small ways, it's an invitation for more. This passage right here is the big one. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and he blessed and broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then he vanished from their sight. (laughs) These encounters that Jesus gives to us when we pursue him, when we let him know we want you. Have you ever been in a one-way relationship? Don't they suck? You're always calling, you're always texting, you're always writing, you're always making the plans, and there's no reciprocation. Yeah, sure, they'll go along if you make the plan, if you make the call, but you don't ever, they don't ever initiate. What do you eventually do with that relationship? Well, you decide until you initiate, I'm just not going to initiate anymore. Jesus does the same thing. I have found that when you invite Jesus into your work environment, when you invite him, when you're about to do your taxes, when you you invite him, uh, when you're going to have a difficult conversation with somebody, when you invite him into looking for a job. I mean, I invite him when I'm shopping on Amazon. When you invite Jesus into whatever you're doing, he responds. It's amazing. There have been times that I've been looking for something, shopping for something, driving around, doing Craigslist, whatever, and I can't find it. I'm like, I have not even invited Jesus into this. I invite Jesus into it, and it's like, bam! It happens like that, and it's the best deal I could possibly find. Jesus wants you to invite him because it's a two-way relationship. So their eyes were open, and it says this. The end of the story. It's beautiful. Did not our heart burn within us us, while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they arose. That is what happens when Jesus talks to you. It burns in your heart. It inspires you. It empowers you. It excites you. And look what they did. They rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They went back seven miles the other direction. See, that's what happens. There was a time that this pastor preached on evangelism for weeks and weeks and weeks and nobody evangelized. And then a group of young people got turned on to Jesus and you couldn't shut them up. You see, that's how it works. Like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She was just getting a bucket of water and she ran into Jesus. And what happened when she realized who he was as she encountered him? She was already in religion. She encountered him. She went back to the town and got, got the whole town to come out. To meet Jesus. And the whole town got saved because she had an encounter. So they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, Lord, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told them about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. How do you think the apostles had the ability to be tortured and martyred. It wasn't because they were connected to something, but to someone whom they loved because he loved them first. Jesus loves you. Let's love him back.
you take the bread with me and let's eat together? Jesus, we don't believe this is a ritual or a religious duty. We believe this is a relationship with you. As we eat this body, Jesus, I pray there's healing that flows through people when they're taking communion. I pray that people's first loves will be reignited right now. I pray you're opening eyes. Let's eat the body of Christ together. Whatever sin you've committed, whatever shame you're carrying, whatever guilt, you don't have to. Jesus' blood is more powerful than any sin you've ever committed, anything you've ever done. Receive his forgiveness right now so you can walk with him without looking at the tips of your shoes. You can look up. You can look him in the eyes. He's your best friend. Let's drink the blood of Jesus together. I'm going to ask you to put your hand over your heart with me. Would you pray this prayer as we go into the rest of the series? Would you say, Dear Jesus, open the eyes of my heart. Open my spiritual eyes. Please open my spiritual ears so I can see you, hear you, and know you. Deliver me from religion and introduce me to you all over again. Amen. All right. I'll see you next week.
Jesus. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Remember, we are not called to something, but we're called to someone, and his name is Jesus. Please join us next week as we continue our series about Jesus.